1: He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones, and you're listening to the Church planner podcast.
2: It's good you say that because I think people get lost sometimes when they first check in and we have that part where we screw around a lot
1: i uh I think I forwarded to you. I just got an email from someone and and you know I asked them if they've been listening to the church planner podcast, and they're like, "Yeah, it's a little bit hard for me to get into you know there's so much stuff at the very beginning. I think you guys ought to do thirty minute shows." Uh, Yeah, it's not going to change. Lame. (laughs) It's not going to influence us anyway. (laughs) No, no. We're we're not doing this for you. Today, though, I will start off by telling everyone what today's topic is, and then we're going to get into our banter. Because I've actually got, I think, a great story to tell you. A little something I found out about myself this week that I didn't know. Really? Yeah. Why don't you tell them what today's topic is, and then I'm going to tell my story. Today,
2: we're going to talk about... The relationship with your sending pastor, not just when you first tell them that you're going to leave the nest and jump off the tree limb and plant a church. And, uh, you know, some guys are pushed out of the nest. Other guys, you know, they, they, they're almost kind of held back. And so we're going to talk about all that. And then how do you maintain the relationship and not just a re- like a good relationship with your sending pastor? And we're going to talk about all that. We, we, we did talk ages ago. About um, getting their support, uh, but we're going to go a bit deeper today and add on to that. We'll cover some of the basics again because some of you didn't go back and listen. Uh, but you know, we uh, we're gonna we're gonna hit that today. That's our talk. Sending pastors.
1: I actually know one guy who's listened to every episode twice.
2: Really, he gets an honorable mention. Come on, who is that?
1: I can't. The person actually doesn't exist. But I'm just hoping that someone will take that as inspiration. Other people are yeah. listening to the show twice. I should yeah, do it if too. If they listen twice, they'll actually
2: retain it. And then they'll go start their own podcast without banter. And then they'll get all of the
1: disgruntled dissidents from <laughs> our show over to their show. So that's a bad plan. So um, I got to tell this story. All right. And and then we've got our sponsors. Should I give a sponsor before and a sponsor after? What do you think? Yeah. All right. All right. We, we well, loves well. us some sponsors. Come on. Well, you know, Peyton, let me ask you something. Uh, have you been wanting to get your church started with online giving? How did you know? Have you been using PayPal as a cheap and easy placeholder? Alas, I'm ashamed to say, Pete, I have. Stop it! A better solution is
2: here! MoGive. I'm sorry! MoGive. give Pete, so, what would that sound like if I sang it? Wait, 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 you
1: forgot to do the... <gasps> Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Say it again. MoGiv, spelled M-O-G-I-V, is an online and text-based giving platform built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. So go to MoGiv.com forward slash church to learn more. That's M-O-G-I-V. (gasps) M-O-G-I-V. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was the end of their uh, sponsorship they're like um if they have reached the end of what they've paid for they won't be paying for more. i think sure. they have i think i think well actually i got to go back and look at the records i got to i should ask white tyrone he usually knows these things oh yeah yeah you white know what tyrone though they, 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 i think they will because uh
2: our guys end up using them and they're nuts for them like i'm nuts for moggit man i'm i'm just that should be the new tagline we're nuts life. for MoGiv. Why don't we write the ads? Hey, Pete, you know what I'm nuts for? (laughs) MoGiv. I mean, come on. That would make an awesome, you know. Hey, Pete, you know what I've been thinking about all day? Why, Peyton, what is that? MoGiv. M-O-G-I-V. Like, come on. Let us write them, right? We'd be awesome. M-O-G-I-V. It's not a joke.
1: So, anyway. Oh, oh, we need to go on Fiverr and get Batman to do MoGiv. You know, I haven't seen Batman on Fiverr. If I had... Oh, give.
2: It's not. It, it's not the online payment system your church needs. It's the one it deserves.
1: you remember that Facebook video of the father who's like, puts the Batman mask on and everywhere? Oh, Bat like, dad.
2: That's like my favorite.
1: Yeah. He's like, stop crying in the car. <laughs> Kids are crying and he doesn't oh, care. Man. He never breaks character. Never. <laughs>
2: Oh, the, the best is when Bat Dad like freaks his wife out and she's like what and
1: she jumps because he's like <laughs> Barbara <laughs> Okay, all right, so here's my story. When I was in college, I did a lot of crazy things to make money. It sounds like another ad. It's not an ad. It's this, okay. this is a true story. So okay, right. one of the jobs I took was as a, a movie extra, you know, I was a film major, right? So <laughs> why not make money as a movie extra? So I actually only did one day as a movie extra. And that's because I changed my phone number and didn't bother to give the agency my new number. So he couldn't call me to go out on <clears throat> any more shoots. But, um, <laughs> I got called to, to do this part as a movie extra, And I think they might have said, if you have a bike, bring it. I I don't remember. But I I went to this. You know, they told us, you know, wear a T-shirt and shorts. So um, I put on a T-shirt and shorts. And I'm in this movie with uh, Leah Thompson. You remember her from, I don't know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, Leah Thompson? She's in a whole bunch of stuff. Yes? No. No. All right. Well, it doesn't matter but that was the big name associated with the movie. I think the movie went direct to DVD or at the time mm-hmm. it would have been VHS. Because they told us the name of the movie was The Unknown Cyclist, but movie names can change. So, um I wasn't sure if that was the actual name. Anytime I'd ever looked, you know, on Netflix or whatever, it was never there. So, the other week I just For some reason, I decide to look on Amazon Prime to see if the unknown cyclist is there. And lo and behold, the unknown cyclist is there. So I'm like, man, i got to watch this thing because I want to see if I can see myself in it. Because I remember there was one scene where I was so close to the actors. I'm like, you know, I had to be in it, right? Because I was so close. So I'm watching it last night. <laughs> and which, there's Pete. you're like riding a bicycle you're like dude which by the way i did see myself and i my wife had to come see it because we had just started dating at the time and like oh, it took me like 10 tries to pause the screen to where i was on it right because
2: no it's
1: that quick of a flash and if you didn't know it was me you wouldn't even know like you, you, it's not like you could watch it and go, oh, I'm looking for Pete in the background. And you'd never see me, right? It's that, wow. that quick. But here's the thing. <laughs> here's what the movie's about, which you don't know when you're an extra, right? So here's the best part. The Unknown Cyclist is about this um, homosexual who dies. And so this is the AIDS ride. And everyone who's there is all homosexuals because they're all going on the AIDS ride. And so I played a homosexual in a movie. No way! True story. Didn't know it oh at the time. God. What did you have to do to, <laughs> to play this role? Well, I do remember standing next to a guy that looked like, like Elvis, but you were
2: like a long, like silk scarf and like
1: platform shoes. No, or but something. see, here's the worst part. Okay, it was all outdoors. Yeah. In the sun. Oh, you're wearing a tube top, dude. <laughs> You're wearing a yellow, a canary yellow tube top. This is a true story. You know how I am about being I'm outside, calm. and you know how I am about yes. being in the sun. I had to spend yeah. the whole day in the sun, but I didn't know it was going to be in the sun, so I didn't bother to bring any suntan lotion. Oh. I burned so bad that day that my entire face blistered.
2: Oh, my gosh. Dude, no wonder you changed your phone number.
1: I, w- <laughs> I went to the doctor, and I don't I don't know how all this works. But that was also when I got mono. So I don't know if it was – I don't know if it's you somehow connected.
2: And the sun happened to have mono that day.
1: I don't know if it's connected, but that's a true story, man. I got mono from being out in the sun. At least that's what I try and tell everyone. But- that's awesome.
2: Well, you know, you, you, you're susceptible to mononucleosis by being um, having intense stress. Stress will lower your immunity. So people get mono who haven't kissed anyone. I got mono when I didn't kiss anybody. And if you have a lot of stress on you, that's what happens. So it sounds like the sun stressed you. Pete, by the way, is a part vampire. He doesn't have fangs or any of the cool sexy things that vampires have. He just has the weakness of not being able to go out in the sun.
1: I do, uh, I do recoil at uh, crosses and crucifixes. I mean, that, he
2: that... does start foaming though, and kind of growling if you have him out in the sun for too long. <laughs> that I have witnessed personally.
1: Dude, I still remember when you were doing that interview with Brian, <laughs> and you were like making me stand out in the sun while you and him were carrying on this conversation underneath the nice umbrella, like under this palm tree. And That's I was really... like so ticked, I just like walked <laughs> off. And you kept calling me and I was ignoring your phone call. I'm like, dude, seriously, you were making me stand in the sun. Oh, dude. I didn't know. You know, I didn't know back then. Pete's like, that could end our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know, man. I didn't know I played a gay guy in a movie.
2: I, I you know what? You <laughs> you've withheld that information for a long time. I feel like our relationship has I just gone found out about it
1: last night. It's not like I
2: knew. I mean I knew I'd
1: been oh, an that's
2: extra. Awesome. So, like, you show up at the extra thing, and you don't know. They don't tell you, like, hey, everybody, you're playing gay people. You're lucky you sh- if you find out the title. Like, that's... Dude, you show up. <laughs> and- <laughs> well, you're in the movie, you're like, I'm gay! <laughs> <laughs> you're like, how did they do that to me? oh um, it, it, it could a- be worse, though. It could have been a film about, like, pedophiles and a pedophile rally, and you're like dang, it's kind of like Joey when he does that photo shoot on friends and they, uh, he's like all excited to see himself. And he looks and he's like, he's like, on Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I got gonorrhea. That was the poster oh, or something dude. like that. Or, you know, what, what, what Ramon isn't telling you. Or I something got like herpes that. or something like that. Yeah. I totally yeah, remember that one. That's great. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was pretty funny. Cause it was when Jamie walked in the room, she goes, Oh yeah, that is you. I mean like you could like, we knew it was me. You would even know it was me if I paused it long enough.
2: But so funny, man!
1: I I used
2: to go down and watch shows get taped uh, live back when I was in high school. So like I, I I went to like the Montel Williams show. Remember him?
0: Oh yeah. And
2: uh, you know, but we would. Uh, this is bad. Kids, don't do drugs and stay in school and get good grades. Um, and and be sure to vote. Rock the vote, right? <laughs> so there's my little public service message. Um, and knowing is half the battle, according to GI Joe, but. Uh, when I was in high school, we used to cut class and, um, drive down to Hollywood and get on all these shows. And so that would be like a fun day out, right? You go there early. Um, there's not as many, they're actually whipping up crowds or they were back then. And so we go stand in these alleyways, they'd let you in and I went, I can't remember. It was one of those like today shows and, um, everybody was really respectable It was like, I don't know if anyone remember this, but it was like a former Miss America's, the hostess. And it might have been Regis or kind of like a Regis knockoff. I can't remember the dude. He was kind of uh, well-known back then. I think it was Regis. And um, anyway, so I can remember this one day. We were being particularly obnoxious because, you know, like during the, oh, like uh, the one thing was every time someone laughed, like they try to tell you to laugh. So we practice really (laughs) obnoxious. Really obnoxious laughs, like before we went in there. And so every time, uh you know, someone would say something, everyone, would, ho ho ho, you know, and chuckle. I my laugh was, <laughs> 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 and at one point, uh the Miss America chick, I, I think her, I, I'm, I could be making this up, but I think her name was Tawny Little. It's just flashing into my mind now, um, maybe because I've told this story, but she, um. She at one point like looked and kind of like did a double take and goes, "You guys, <laughs> there's me and my buddies, and we've got like hair down to our butts. We look like you know Red Hot Chili Peppers, and we're ju- we just don't fit in, you know. And uh, and during the uh, uh, the end of the show, you know, like where they goes, today's show was provided right, right, by, right, right. and they show the credits, and then everybody's cheering, um we would start yelling out the names of all of our friends who were still in class. And so (laughs) we would yell as loud as we could. Hey, so-and-so. Hey, blah, blah, blah. And you could, and so, you know, they don't air that day. They, they, you know, you can find out like what day it's going to air and then tape it. And so we would, uh, we would go as back in the days of VCR, we would go and tape the episode and, uh, and we would play it for our friends. Hey, I said, Hey to you on this one. And, uh, that's pretty funny. It's
1: not as good as your story, man. Like I can't top. Like I played a gay guy movie. <laughs> it's it was it was classic. There was another scene too where you could see my head but it was so small. Now I've got a 100-inch screen for those who don't. I got a home movie theater. <laughs> On this 100-inch screen, my head is about the size of a 50-cent piece. So like unless You know it's you, right? You're never gonna see me. So
2: I love the fact that in the credits, if you were credited, you would be (laughs) red-haired homosexual man. That would be.
1: Uh, I was not credited, but I did get paid $135 for getting the sunburn of a lifetime.
2: And you have a souvenir now to show the kids one day.
1: I will not be showing my kids that movie. All right, well, should we get into our topic? You know, we probably should uh, since we're like way into this and now Joey Roper is going to be upset with us. But, you know, um, before he's we been do, gathering an army or creating people to make those comments. <laughs> he's just been creating false personalities on, on social media. But, hey, you know, before we get started, you know, Peyton, I know you've decided to start a church. You're excited. You're thrilled. And now you realize that starting your church has a legal side. And it can feel overwhelming even downright scary but downright I want you to know Peyton it doesn't have to be we're start church we'll walk you through the whole process from start to finish taking something hard and making it easy the legal side Peyton it doesn't have to be scary it just has to be done and let start church do it for you visit them at startchurch.com can I can I sing it dot com. <laughs> is it we both thought of singing it at the same time? It's <laughs> just wrong. That's because we respect our sponsors that much. Start Church Dude, and MoGiv. I make Ingles for you. Start Church, if they
2: should bar church, please let that Star Church
1: stay. I love it. I love it. So, anyway, let's Thank move you, on Bill Murray, uh, let's move Saturday Night Live. Let's move and right and into Wars. our topic.
2: Okay. So, uh <clears throat> me 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 get my singing voice on. So, our topic today is about your sending uh, pastor and what kind of relationship should you have? Well, first off, um there's an article that appeared this week on calvarychapel.com uh, about maybe two months ago, six weeks ago, um, they asked me if I might have an article on church planting. So uh, we hit them with a little something that's normally found in Jump School, which is our online training. Um, if you have not joined Jump School, this is my time to plug it here. Cha-ching. Um, you guys, honestly, a lot of the questions that we're getting from guys who are not a part of Jump School are answered in Jump School. And we have put that together based on, I've I've been coaching church planters since 2006. So it's about eight years now. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a church planner myself and I've launched out multiple church plants and uh, church planted a couple times. So um, it's just something that, you know, you, you you kind of, you hear the same questions over and over. But um, anyway, so, Uh, there's three questions that need to be asked before you plant your church. Number one, who's sending me? And this is taken from this article. Uh, Number two, who is supplying me? And number three, who is going with me? So before uh, you leave the bunker, you're going to need to do an ammo check. You've got to make sure that you've got um, everything necessary to plan a church. You need supplies, you need equipment, you need funding. And so, uh, Jesus made, uh, the statement that nobody would go to war without making sure he can win it. And in the same way, uh, he said no one starts building a house unless he's sure he has the materials to complete it. And so I would, I would guess that that analogy would, would fit not just, you know, in this case, he's talking about salvation to you. Are you ready to um, to give it all? You know, will you uh, don't start this unless you're ready to finish it. And it, it, at the same time, with church planning, I think there's a kingdom principle here that is um, saying you're going to need to uh, to be supplied. And so, answering that first question, who's sending me is really important because it's tied to the second question, who's supplying me. Um, so you need a sending pastor. I'm um, not sending sinning pastor. Um, I'm sure you have one of those. Um, I'm one. And uh, my sending pastor is definitely a sinning pastor. But sending with a D. Uh, I sin
1: more be- before 9 a.m. than most people sin all day.
2: Dude, that's quoting the army.
1: That's that is. awesome. Yeah, that
2: is. It's the army. We, we do more. But yeah, we sin more before 9 a.m. I don't know if that's true. It takes me a while to get started.
1: <laughs> really i i usually wake up sinning <laughs> <laughs> wake up hating people <laughs> no actually I, I don't wake people. up mad but i i do happen to not be too happy when it comes to waking up in the morning so yeah i don't start talk off in a, bad a shower dude yeah. never never yeah. or before he's had his moldy coffee
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny that was really funny no
1: that hurts yeah. actually.
2: He told a story about drinking a uh, drinking coffee like for a change and he pulls out this bag and it's got mold growing in it. It wasn't mold he after he's drinking the coffee and he looks in the bed and he's like, Man, there's a mold in that
1: coffee. Where is that from? You don't remember? From from what? You told a story about no, drinking wait, I think it wasn't moldy. I just said it was really old coffee. It had it expired God. like two or three years before. Well, it
2: it definitely had some fungus. It probably was not moldy. It probably had some fungal growth on it.
1: Well, it it was in little plastic cups. I thought it was gonna be fine until it was I got def- like the heartburn fun- of all heartburns.
2: Yeah, it was definitely <laughs> funky. I I would imagine it was fungus and not mold. But dude, that is such a funny. Like, what's wrong with this? <laughs> that was pretty bad. <laughs>
1: oh,
2: okay. So uh so the, the reality is in order to do this, in order to uh build a relationship with your sinning pastor, um you've got to get to know him. You've got to spend time with him. And and here's what I suggest go out to lunch with your pastor, take him out to lunch, pay for him sometime. Um, take him out to invite him out to coffee without an agenda and just tell him I just want to build relationship with you. And uh, you know, pastors are used to people kissing their butt. And they're they're almost always waiting for someone to get to the agenda and to hit them for something or ask them for something, and they know that everybody wants something from them. They're in a position of power in many ways, and um, and I think if you just right away say, look, I respect you, I respect your ministry, and um, I I want to build relationship with you, I want to learn from you what I can. That ought to be your your posture with your sending pastor, even if you're, you know, which often happens with a church planner, you, uh, you think, you know how to reach the lost people and you think he's, you know, a bit of a tool or, you know, he's, he's kind of like, uh, uh, sits on his, on his hands. That might be how you think because maybe he's a teacher or a shepherd and you're wired apostolically. And so you're, you're misjudging the guy a lot. Trust me, you will have tons to learn from him. And so it's not a false statement to say, I want to learn from you. You just might be too ignorant to know what it is you need to get off the guy. Right. Mm. But you need him. And the more time you spend with him and you'll find out later down the road, once you've launched how much you do need what he knows. Right. But that, that often when you're the church planner and you haven't launched out yet, you think you know everything and you're like, you're just judging the guy. You're not in his shoes and you're criticizing him and you, you, you think, you know, let me have my chance, and I'll really show him how to reach the lost, you know, and, uh, and and just realize he's in a different place. God's got a different call on him, and you really do need, but you need to build that relationship. There needs to be a friendship and trust. Often what happens is the relationship between a sinning pastor and the church planner is a very thin, it's almost like a very thin professional relationship, and because of that, Um, they they, because of that there's no trust and someone might report back to the sending pastor and say hey do you hear what he's doing over there or he this and that and if that relationship is thin it's going to be harder for the sending pastor to trust you so the first thing I do is I say build a friendship with that guy let him get to know who you are so when that stuff happens there's like a bank that he can draw from and say, "No, there's enough money in that account of trust, and I trust him. you know, I know he wouldn't do that, or I think you've got him wrong once he knows you, he can weather everything else. He can say, "Well, that doesn't sound like you know the Peyton I know or you know what I mean mm-hmm. so um you know a lot of guys just end up going out uh, on their own. And maybe, you know, you've been tempted before just to go out and start a church. Well, in church planning circles, the first thing people ask you is who sent you or, or, you know, who sent you out? They want to know who you're aligned with, who you've you've, uh, identified yourself with. And it's not okay just to have a sending organization. For for me, I want to know when a guy comes to New Breed, who's your church? Because you can apply. An organization but the first thing they want to know is who's your church and what references can you give us right so all these things are important um, a lot of guys are like they're so frustrated they just want to like you know bail on, you know blow the popsicle stand head out there and uh, go out and do the maverick thing and the issue with that is it shows from the start that you don't play well with others well how are you going to plan a church when you can't work with guys who are already in ministry, you know what I'm saying? You can't be humble enough to work with guys that see things different than you. You're not going to do well at church planning. Does that make sense? I dig it. So uh, anyways, one, one of the values of having a sinning pastor um, is that he's, he's going to uh, regularly check in on you. He's going to ask you how things are going, not just, for your church plant, but also for you, he'll, he'll know enough to say, well, how, how are you doing? Not your church plant. How are you? How's your, how's your walk? How's your family? Because he knows. Well,
1: I I would say that you, you hope that he knows enough to do that, right? Because there's, there's different types of sending pastors. There are those that are going to see you as a threat and there are those who are going to welcome what you're doing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe we
1: should differentiate, you know, Absolutely. How do you know how to deal with each type? Yeah, that, that's a good
2: point. It, it's, it's a much-needed point to bring up because, in all fairness, there are, uh, uh, you can't even call them a sending pastor. I, I, I also wrote an article um, to uh, Calvarychapel, uh, dot com earlier in the year about guys who won't send out. And with those guys, you have no choice but, to um, really jump ship, but but even in those cases, I say, find another church that will launch you out. Really? There are churches that will launch you out. so um if if you're at a church where the pastor's just a meathead and he it, it, for him, he's building a personal empire, and you're seen to be detracting from his empire. And Pete and I know this. Um, we even in the church planning circle, we've come across guys. Who, even in like church planning networks and stuff, they're as competitive with church planning stuff as a pastor would be building his church. It's really disheartening to find this kind of attitude.
1: We um, we have seen stuff that, you know this, and obviously we're not going to get into who because no, that's just not cool. We don't expose anybody. But there are people who's, who's for me, I mean, I, I'm so thankful I'm not a pastor because. Like, one particular denomination, I really want nothing to do with that that denomination. Like, they are so obsessed with literally building their little tower of Babel than they are at spreading the the gospel. Yeah. I mean, it it is, to me, it's sickening. And the ironic part is, it's not the head of the denomination, who you and I have met and have talked to, and I think is just a great guy. Yeah. It's like, you know... (laughs) One of the interesting things about um, the IRS, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this back around. Don't worry, is they actually uh, look to hire people with low self esteem, and the reason is when you give somebody with low self esteem power, they are incredibly loyal to you, and the IRS has to do that because if you take an auditor and you put them over in a fifty billion dollar company and they're auditing the books. And someone in there just comes into them and says, hey, look, we're going to open up an account over here in the Cayman Islands. We're going to put in a million dollars. You pass us through this audit. The average person is going to go, okay, <laughs> give me my million dollars. Yeah. But you take someone with low self-esteem who's been given power, they are insanely loyal. And they'll never take the money. Yeah. And it's like I see that in some of these denominations where you've got people with low self-esteem who've been given power. And it, yeah. it's just like. All right. Well, I'm building this and I'm going to, you know, and it's not like building it for the kingdom. It's building it in a perverted way. They see it as building it for the organization who's given them this power, but they're in churches. They're missing the whole point, right? Of what they're supposed to be doing. I remember
2: talking to a guy who is the head of a church planning deal. Um, and he literally was, he was inviting me onto the team and he was literally telling me that he was literally telling me that he wanted to crush all the competition. Yeah. And I I just remember like my my head was kind of like it was I I couldn't
1: I'm like y- you haven't read Church Zero obviously. <laughs> well, this is not and that same thing. guy I mean has been one of the like yeah, most like gnarliest people I've we've come across in church planning. Yeah. And, and we're both and just so- like in shock at like this dude and mm-hmm. what he's doing
2: absolutely and and so in all fairness there are guys that kind of like Paul said Paul says hey some preach Christ out of selfish ambition and envy that is their motivator is selfish ambition and Paul draws the conclusion will never you know nevertheless you know even though their motive is wrong Christ is being proclaimed so he he kind of looks at the silver lining there um, but it is true. There are guys that are in ministry for the wrong reasons and they're motivated by the wrong things. And I think that's one of the things that in church planning you're hitting on all the time. At least I am. Right. Because to me, it's not about competition. It's not about that to me. Like Paul says, it's like, let's get the name and fame of Jesus out there. Hmm. So as we're talking about this, you know, you will come across pastors where you can't do anything with them. With some guys, I've worked with a lot of church planners are like, hey, um, my pastor, you know, he this and that. And when you look at it closer under a microscope, the church planner has been extremely disrespectful to the pastor because he's chomping. The church planner is chomping at the bit to get out there. And the, the pastor, the sending pastor is holding him back. And maybe for good reason, maybe a little bit just, you know, often what I see is the guy feels kind of like Anakin Skywalker, right? In episode three, which according to Pete never happened, right? But, uh, I uh, have no idea what three,
1: movie you're talking about.
2: Yes, it does not exist. Like Shark Tank, it's dead to me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but the, the reality is, uh, in that movie, they hold him back because they just see something in him that's that's not quite right. The Jedi Council, and 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 so Anakin's all frustrated. And, you know, I feel like Obi Wan's holding me back, and he's all frustrated and upset and bitter. But it's obvious no one cares for Anakin more than Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, but he just sees something that says, you know, I, I've been further down the road in this than you, and I. I just we need to do this for you a little bit. And and so often it will be love that the sinning pastor has for the church planner and just working with him a bit. And I think what guys often do is they they go the opposite way rather than leaning into that and telling the guy, look, I know you love me. I know you care for me. I know you're worried about my family and I got mouths to feed. um, You're not sure I can take the weight. Hey, I respect you. I'm going to lean into that and please disciple me. Get me ready. Please get me ready. Um, I'm just telling you, as a guy that's been a little bit further down the road uh, in church planning, that that that's always a good thing. You always think you're more ready than you actually are, and it, once you get in the situation, you realize it. But okay, on the other hand, like Pete said, there are guys where I I would say that guys that are resistant to church planning they fall in a couple different categories. So. I think last week we mentioned about the guys who were like, hey man, you know, we had to do it the hard way in my day. We walked three miles through the snow and planted churches and we ate bark off trees if we got hungry. Well, those guys, you know, they lived in revival. It's a bit unfair. The the next generation of guys that weren't in revival, they're the guys who said, you know we need to help train guys. Uh, because there's biblical principles. They they didn't have The Holy Spirit but that's not to say that you know in working in power in the same way that's not to say that the first generation had the biblical principles in fact I would say that that generation was able to lean so much on the Holy Spirit that they had the luxury I suppose if you want to call it that of not needing to know the biblical principles because they were just wholly operating in the Spirit but I would say that like Paul oftentimes having begun in the Spirit Uh, we can end in the flesh. And because they didn't know those biblical principles, they found themselves quickly, uh, falling into ways that were not, uh, biblical modes of church planning and in some ways creating monsters, uh, of, of churches or monsters of ministry that eventually ate them alive. And, um, you know, of course, the, the the biggest, the biggest monster we got is in our own heart. And so some of these guys, you know, they might have thought the goal was for them to be the big Wambui and, uh, you know, and anyone else was a threat to them. So you, you'll see guys who they just they don't get it because they weren't given the biblical principles. You'll see other guys who they um, they don't see the need. They kind of feel like Batman, you know, um, Batman lives in Gotham. And whenever another superhero comes into Gotham, Batman says, Gotham's my city. Get out. So you find guys going, hey, I'm here. Um, You mentioned that particular denomination. Well, that denomination is notorious for that. If they have their church of that city, they'll resent anyone else in the entire city. It doesn't matter if there's a million people in that city. They will resent someone else from that denomination. And they'll say, we're here. Why are you here? Well, because we have to reach a huge number of people. And what I think a lot of guys need to understand is opposing church planners who come into a city, your city, if, if you want to play it like Batman, to plan a church. What you're actually saying is, I got this. That's a Batman's telling. He's telling Superman, I, I don't need your help. I got this. And I'm Batman. And, uh, you know, the, the reality is none of us is Batman. Do you want to stand before God? on the day of judgment and tell him, hey, Lord, I totally had the city of, you know, fill in the blank. Now Lord, I, I'll take full responsibility for the people that didn't come to faith. Um, I, I, I told everyone I had that. And, Lord, I'm sure you can see that I did all I could to reach every single person. Well, no, you didn't. You know, you you definitely didn't. I mean, Paul in the New Testament, he sets up what's called gateway uh, cities, um, he's He goes to the big cities, and in Romans 15, he says, you know, I'm done in this area. I fulfilled the mission God gave me to Asia Minor, and so now I'm heading on to Rome. Well, all, what Paul did is he set up church planting factories. He would plant a church in that city knowing that they would send out churches from there, and you can see evidence of that in 1 Thessalonians. You can see evidence uh, in Acts 19. Uh, regarding uh, Paul in Ephesus. You can see it in the seven churches of Asia, which were church plants out of Ephesus. I mean, shoot, man, I could go on about that. But some guys don't see the need for other churches because they're like, hey, I'm here. And they simply need to be educated. So, you know, the first couple guys, it's a matter of education. Um, Then you have another type of pastor who is oppositional because, not because of ignorance, not because of uh, uh, not knowing the biblical principles of church planning, what we're supposed to be doing, not uh, not recognizing the need, but a guy who literally is just a selfish pig. And uh, by that I mean literally he wants it all. And that's kind of what we were talking about. Um, he's literally saying, because um, I, I would honestly, I would say that my sinning pastor, Bill Welsh, he fell into the second category where, in the very beginning, when I told him, Hey, I'm coming back to to, uh, to Southern Cow and I'm going to set up new breed in the States and I, I think I'm going to church plant and help guys church plant. And Bill was honest. He was just, you know, he was like, Peyton, I don't know. We got so many churches here. I don't know if there's a need for that. Well, Bill could now, I couldn't have a bigger fan of church planting than my sending pastor. Um, so it, it was just a matter of him seeing you know, the need. And, uh, but the third guy, you know, he, the third category is a guy who's just, he's just, I don't know. He's the selfish, ambitious guy.
1: Yeah. I'm, I remember when you and I first started talking about doing the magazine, I went up to this, uh, conference in LA and I met these gals and I remember telling you, cause the hair on the back of my neck was sticking up. Like we just happened to, like, this was not a Christian event. Uh, this was, like, for authors and publishers. And these two gals were writing a book, and it was lunchtime. And so what usually happens when you go to a hotel and there's, like, a few hundred or, I don't know, maybe a thousand people at this event, um, all the restaurants fill up, right? It's really hard to find a spot. So the restaurant had filled up, and we were all in the bar sitting at, like, little tiny coffee tables trying to eat our lunch because they had a, a buffet open. And so there was like four or five of us sitting around this one teeny tiny coffee table, um, which you could not put all your plates on there. That's how small it was. And I remember watching these two g- gals because, you know, they bowed their head and prayed. And I was like, all right, let's see what's going on over here. And as we got to talk and I was like, okay, they're Christian. Cause a lot of times when I go to these things, I'll run into Mormons. Uh, very rarely do I actually run into, um, Real Christians, not just like I'm an American and a Republican, therefore I'm Christian, but, you know, someone who it's like, no, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And they started telling me their story. And I'm like, dude, these guys are church planners. Like, what are the odds that I'm at this event? And You know, at this point, I'm like, I don't even know what I think about women being in church planning. Right. You know, I grew up Baptist. That's just not what women do. Yeah. They, they they get to work the children's church, and then you know, like your wife said, at what age do I become a pariah? you know <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I know you get to work with children, right <laughs> you know and uh, but I'm like, these two are totally like church planners and and they're telling me their story and what they're doing and um we started talking a little bit later, um it might have been a month or so later they were back down in l a and I was meeting them for something, and um they started telling me about their pastor of their church. And he just was like, what are you guys doing? Why are you going out there and starting up a church? Why aren't you helping us build this one? And I mean, he did not get what they were doing. He did not get the church planning. He didn't, he didn't get any of it. His and I don't even think he was, um, trying to build up his, his, you know, babble and, and, or anything. I think it was a small church and he was like, I'm losing tithers. Like that's what was going through that dude's head.
2: Yeah. Well, for for me now, because I'm apostolically wired, you know, we've always talked about the Ephesians 4, uh, you know, you've got five different leaders um, in in the leadership of the early church. Not today. Shepherds and teachers run the show and the other three roles people don't think exist. But in the in the first century church, you had the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist. Those are the radicals. And so the church was favored in the ratio of three to five radicals, right? Um, you know, uh, three to two, three uh, radicals and two conservatives on that makeup. So you get the idea that Christianity was meant to be a radical, progressive, forward-moving organism. Um, it was not meant to be a hey, let's stay in the bunker and look inward. And so the the shepherd and the teacher are inward looking by nature. And so often what happens a church planner when he's going out he might be talking to a sending pastor who is part of the conservative bracket. The difficulty when you don't understand church zero really ching um, unlocked a lot of people's thinking. And that's how that's how I counsel guys. I'm like, look, don't be mad at your sending pastor for being conservative. That's how God has wired him. What you need to do is to show him what God's called you to do and to recognize it's okay. Like, in other words, you don't want to approach your sinning pastor like, hey, you're a stick in the mug, you suck, and you're not doing anything for Jesus. And because of that, I have to go out there and plant a church. I mean, come on, you know, just, you know, read, read uh, uh, Henry Kissinger's volume on diplomacy, if that will help you, because you uh, you need a bit. You need to develop some social skills, okay, because you talk to people like that, they're going to pick up on it, and it's gonna, he's going to be like, what in the heck, I pour my life into this church, like, you know, you're a jerk. Like, he's just going to see you as an arrogant twit, and you are acting like one. Um, what you need to recognize is, look, I've been wired to go out and do this pioneer stuff. He's not. He has been called by God to do this other stuff. Now, if we want to stretch it a bit, really, he ought to have these other rules on a team with him, so that they can see his blind, seeing his blind spots, because that's what when a team works together, they see each other's blind spots, and it it works really well. But you it, you don't want to talk down to him. You want to you want to build him up when you're having the conversation with him that you're going to plan out you um you pray your guts out before it happens you approach it super humble and you start off by telling him hey i wouldn't be having the desire to reach the lost if it weren't for your ministry because like it or not you are actually a product of that guy's ministry and i'm assuming that we're talking about a good pastor a good sending pastor even if he you know this is the category of guys that we talked about before where they don't get it because of how they're wired. Not not the guy that I said was a selfish pig who's just out for himself, right? Um, when you have that situation, um, you're going to have to walk. But again, plug in somewhere else. But well, let's say you got the good guy, you know, um, you, you just, you big him up a bit. It's not that you're kissing his butt. But it's that you're recognizing and validating his ministry. He needs to hear that from you. He's a human being after all. And I always tell church planners, I'm like, hey, man, you are the way you are from sitting under that dude's ministry. You may not even recognize it, but you are. Somehow, this dude made you hungry for more. Um, Somehow, he had an influence on you. Maybe he shaped what you're reading. Maybe you read John Piper, but... Who told you about John Piper, or who set the, who gave you that kind of spiritual appetite? So often the pastors that are the, they don't get a fair shake. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, so that's that's really helpful, man. Differentiating. How do you, how do you, uh, <laughs> and then you tell the guy, you say, you know, I want to go out and plant, and, um, and I need your help, and I may need you to help prepare me. And, you know, like I said, often you need someone to broker that deal because he's, he doesn't have an exit strategy for church planners all mapped out. He, he would have to go and make one up. Well, you know, maybe a year from now we'll assess again. Well, that's not going to be helpful, right? Because now you're like, oh, great, you know, I'm back in limbo for another year. Um, you need someone to like, well, let's take some measured steps. You know, when I deal with my church planners, I tell them, well, let's you know, I put out an action plan. And it may deviate from that, but we have a strategy and you know it may be like uh like ruben and i talk every week and we start well, okay well let's do this for this many months and then at that point you know let's see if we can do this we'll, we'll talk about it at that point we'll see if it's ready you know because these are the things i want to see boom, 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 clear measurable goals if that makes sense yeah um, things i would like to see from your team your core team before we split it off into two core teams or you know that that kind of stuff if that makes sense because ruben he's an animal he just wants to like launch multiple churches all at once so but you have to work with guys The the thing that a church planner fears the most is being held back because he is a forward tilting guy and the the shepherd and teacher and usually the guy who is in the position of the sending pastor is not he is a stand on my back foot kind of guy and you know so his tendency is to hold us back and so that's why church planners dread that conversation is because they need and what they're asking for is to be released, to be freed, to go do what they got to do. And they know going into that conversation that that conversation is probably going to bring with it a tendency to be held back. They're going to need to come under this guy when they share their plans. Right. They think, you know, if I, if I tell my pastor what I want to do now, He's got some say in it, and I may not like what he says. Mm. Are there any parallels in the business world to this, speech that you can think of?
1: Well, um, it's a little bit different because in the business world, when you go out on your own, you usually do rape and pillage your company. <laughs> <laughs> so well, We can talk about that. Cause there's a way you can do that, too. I'm just saying it's usually not, a, good way. It's usually not a friendly, hey, I'm going to go out here and start up another you know, company that's going to compete with you. It's it's done in stealth. It's yeah. done with all the planning, and then all of a sudden, uh, by the way, I'm leaving, and so are all these people. Thanks for everything.
2: Yeah. yeah. And and here's the deal: if if I broker that relationship and that process, what that's going to mean is that uh, there will be ground rules set for that. Um, it won't be a raping and pillaging of the company. Um, but it, it, it will involve a strategy. It will involve the people that can be taken. It will involve, uh, financial support. Um, all those things need to be talked about. You know, you, you, you have, you have to to deal with that stuff. But, um, it, it should, one of the things that I often bring up with those guys when they don't quite see it. Um, and by the way, one, one of the pastors called me, uh, you know, maybe two years ago when I was brokering one of these. And uh, again, I just knew in my gut, your pastor loves you. And I I talked to the pastor and rather than being oppositional or a selfish pig, he was actually, uh, he was genuinely concerned for that family. I've hardly ever talked to a sending pastor that loved a planter. Like he had poured into this guy and the planter was totally getting it wrong, like completely getting it wrong. I got on the phone with the planner. I'm like, dude, that dude loves the crap out of you. Like, man, I was I was touched talking to him. And he has been the biggest support. He calls that planner every single week. How are you? If he sends money, he says, I don't want that money going to the church. That's for you and your family, right? I want you guys to pay your bills. And he has been the number one fan of that church plan. And so circling back to what I tell the, the, the sending pastor sometimes is, look, um, you know, you know how you and I were talking the other night um, about ego and impact, right? Mm-hmm. All of us in ministry, Um we were talking earlier about the guys that you know uh, get it wrong, and they're like, "Oh, I want to crush the competition," or it becomes about them building their church planting empire. Um, it, you know, it's it's weird, but every minister is dealing with flesh and spirit. And that's really, if we break it down biblically, that's what you're seeing. When Paul says some guys preach Christ out of selfish ambition, it means that ego is taken over. All of us are weighing the balance between ego and impact. So sometimes when I'm in the flesh in ministry, ego takes over. Yeah, I'll go speak there because I want people to hear me and think I'm awesome in the pulpit. And if the Spirit is taking over, I don't give a rip about that. And what I really want is for people to love Jesus, right? And, um, I was talking to someone yesterday who said they, they went to a church (laughs) and, uh, they had brought someone, they knew people at the church and the person kept saying to them, what'd you think of the church? What'd you think of the church? And we were just laughing about like, that's not the question you should ask. You should be asking like, what'd you think of God? What'd you think of Jesus after all that? You know? And, and so we get it so wrong and, uh, but ego and impact, man, that's, that's where, When my ego is taking charge, then, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, everything gets out of focus. Um, But Pete and I are always talking, you know, we're either speaking to one or the other. Often we're speaking to to these leaders. Um, And you know when a guy, when he's kingdom-minded, ego's not in it anymore. Guy who's an empire builder, ego's driving it. He doesn't want to work with others. He's like, no, I'm not interested in this, you know, boom, boom, boom. But a guy who is impact driven, that spirit he doesn't care about like for me, I would I'm, I'm not saying like, hey, I'm the poster child for a guy who walks in the spirit. Far from it. But when I'm talking to a guy from another uh, uh, network, I, c- I couldn't give a rip about Newberry, Right. I don't even talk about Newbery. I might talk about Church Planner magazine or Church Planner podcast saying, hey, when can we get you on there and promote your thing, you know, I want people to hear what's going on, what God's doing through your neck of the woods, and I would say that's Pete Nice posture when we're talking to people. But uh, so going back to this pastor,
1: and I would just say that in a selfish way, that's actually a better way to do it because um, the more you give, the more you get. Yeah, absolutely. It's so called the thank you economy. Well, it's, there's lots of I, different terms for it, but I mean, you know, it's just. The the guys who are like, no, we just want to promote our thing. Like you've even shown me emails from different people, and I'm like, dude, is this guy for real? Does he not realize what he's saying? And um, yeah. The, the reality is, is the more you give, the more you're gonna get. I mean, and plus at the same time, I don't think you and I really give a rip. I mean, right now we've got our incomes coming in from other places, so if Someone else comes up with a better deal than the Church Planner Podcast or the Church Planner Magazine. I say go for it, man. I mean, if it's, like you said, if it's getting uh, the gospel out there or helping the guys who are getting the gospel out there, I'm all for it. Absolutely. I don't care if it's and, us or someone else.
2: Absolutely. Like, that's that's it, man. Like, we started this podcast, um, <laughs> believe it or not, I don't know if a lot of people know, it was Pete's idea. I didn't think it up. Um, same with the magazine. Pete's like, is there a magazine for church planners? And I'm like, no, but there should be, that would be hot. And, uh, and at the time it was really just about, um, equipping guys. And because that, you know, Pete was talking to me long enough and hearing what I was trying to do, Hey, you could do this. You could reach more people with a magazine and that's not for us to get money. The reality is we started this thing to, to equip. Now our sponsors that would be nice, you know. So definitely, you know, tweet us out and promote us so we do get some money. That'd be cool. But you know, the end of the day is this. Um, talking to that pastor, one of the things that that I often try to convince him of is look, you don't want, and, and this is appealing to both ego in, and impact. It can go either way. If the guy's in the flesh, it'll go to his ego compartment. If he's in the spirit, it's gonna go to his impact compartment. But what I often say to the guy is look. Um, you've built a church, and let's face it, most mega churches today are in decline. Um, they're not growing. Um, they're not, uh, you know, they're definitely not pulling a bunch of young people. And I'll have guys challenge me. Oh, look at our church; it's pulling young people. That's awesome, and I'm happy for that. Like I'm happy to be proven wrong on that. But that's not the norm. Um, the norm is that youth have left the mega churches. And so I tell the guy, go, look, man, if you follow the statistics, church plants are the, the rapidly growing churches, and they are more effective at reaching the unchurched. Now, you could have a piece of that, and not a piece of that like, yeah, it's a piece of the pie, but you could literally go to bed at night knowing that this ministry went beyond you. It went beyond yourself. I mean, when you look at the Apostle Paul, that's his concern. You know, towards the end of his life, he's more concerned about Timothy and Titus and more thrilled about what they're doing than what he's doing. And there's that shift. And so I try to get those guys to enter into Paul's mindset that, look, man, it's passing the torch, like in First Second Timothy, "Don't you want to do that?" And that was the article I'd written a, a few months ago to um, you know Calvarychapel.com was to say to those pastors, "Look, man, you guys, that grew up in the revival. You just, you're not equipping this next generation and you really, really need to. Um, you need to rethink that and get on board. And guys are starting to do that, which is encouraging. But, uh, but, but yeah, man, I, I, one of the things you want your pastor to see is that this is an extension of his ministry. I would say that, that really the, the tide is shifting. People don't give a rip how big your church is. In fact, they're kind of suspicious of that now. Um, what they really want to know is how much did you give out from your church? How much was your church modeling what you preach from the pulpit? And that is sacrificing and giving of your best and, um, you know, spreading out and, uh, going all in for the gospel. It, churches are not modeling that. They're being very selfish. And so it's, it's a, it's a bit of education to say, look, you know, church needs to model this. What you're telling people to do in their daily life, the church needs to do now. And step out and be the
1: model of it. Yep, I'm with it. So, uh, any any other questions? I mean, there's a lot more we. No, could talk there's about. a lot on this topic. It's and it's a dicey topic just because of like the things that we've already talked about. There are some pastors who are going to get it, some that aren't going to get it, some that are going to be like, "How do I do it?" Um, it's almost the type of situation where. It's almost got to be handled on a case by case basis. You know, like what's the advice for this church planner? What's the advice for this sending pastor? There are so many moving parts in all of this. You're so right. Dude, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, I'm dealing with this situation now
2: where brokering the deal between a sending pastor and and someone who's traveling out, Um, basically, what's happening there is the sending pastor is asking for. the planter to get uh, blessings from various pastors in the area. Um, and so that was his condition because he's in the neighboring city and he's saying, Hey, you know, I know some of these guys and I have relationship with them and I don't want that to be soured. So that's his condition. Well, that's hard because this uh, this planter is unknown. He calls, he can't get through to the secretary, you know, through the secretary to, to, to some of these rock star pastors and so the chances of him of getting a response are slim so but that's you're right that's that's a moving part that's held everything up is trying to get the blessings of all these guys
1: and not and, to mention i mean cuz then the brokering really comes into play what if one of these pastors doesn't give the blessing well uh, I'm sorry. Uh, God's called me to that area, so I'm here out of courtesy to my sending pastor. But by the way, <laughs> I'm still setting up shop. You know, it's like, absolutely
2: and and that's that's where it, it gets a little sticky, because at that
1: point you have to then say because what if uh, okay. those pastors aren't they don't get church planning? You know, I mean, just it it's like I said. I mean, there's so many moving parts. You almost got to handle this topic on a case by case basis.
2: Absolutely. And and in that situation, uh, we're waiting to hear back from one guy. Um, he's been putting it off. It's making me wonder if the response is going to be negative. And then I've got my work cut out for me because then I go talk to that pastor and either, A, inform and educate or possibly rebuke, which uh, isn't really what you want to be doing. You don't really want to be, uh, hold on one second. you know what, now that my iPad's ringing, i got to switch that off too. (laughs) That's
1: funny. Stupid iOS 8. I know, it's crazy. uh, Have you answered a call yet on your iPad? What's that? Have you answered a call yet on your iPad? I have not. Apparently they can call my computer too. I heard that, I heard that. I'm like, great, that's just what I need. Three things ringing at me all at the same time. No kidding, huh?
2: But uh, but yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that uh, that I would have to do then is talk to them and and possibly rebuke because there is a time to rebuke. Once you've fallen short of of kind of saying that, then I would rebuke. Now I wouldn't be in the position of the sinning pastor. I, I have, like I said, I have the unique role of being able to be the middleman and and you know, if anything, I can be the jerk when I need to be the jerk. And I can just say, hey, man, you know, you're off base. I don't think you realize how in the flesh you are on this. Um, I'm not the pastor. I'm not batting for my own corner. I'm not the sending pastor. I'm not the planner. Um, I'm a guy who's trying to help a couple other guys out and boom, boom, boom. And and often when you pull the guy's pants down and expose where he's at, he's got nothing to say. You know, he, he just stands there embarrassed like, you know, really don't have... But like But When you really try to get a, a, a reason, a guy might say something like, well, hey, I minister to the people in that area. And there's things that you, you can say there. Like, really? like, Gosh, you know, they have to drive like 15 minutes to get to your church. I mean, we've got people now in that neighborhood right now who live in that neighborhood, and it's a grotty part of town, and they want a church. And they want a church that they could bring their friends. Because that's a low economic, I mean, we tend to go in low economic areas, but you know how it is. Everybody buses out to the middle class areas because people plant in middle class areas because that's where the money is. And so I start hitting on that. Like, hey, you know what? Uh, if you guys, and, and this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show some of my cards here and I don't know if I'm gonna regret this or not. But, uh, one of the things I often say to them is, look, there is a need in that area and either you plant there or we will. If you want to beat me to it, fine. Put your money where your mouth is and go reach those people. Go sacrifice for them. Put some skin in the game and go do something about it. Right? Because there's tons of people in that community who are never going to get reached by you being 15 miles down the road. And, you know, I have to answer to the Lord and so does this planter, not to you. We came to you out of a courtesy. And at the end of the day, um, if you want to be like that, um, I'm just letting you know. Um, you know there will be something planted, and then what we have to do is go back to the sending pastor, and then talk to him. What do you want to do? This was his response. And if the sending pastor says, "Well, you know, um, I'm I'm comfortable with us rolling ahead. I mean, we did what we could do," um, then you know that's that's usually the best of a bad situation. If the sending pastor says, "Well, you know, gosh, I, I don't really," Want to strain relations with these other pastors in the area, then, um, you talk to him some more and say, well, what are we going to do about all the lost people there? And normally you can win him over at that point because he had the heart to church plant there in the first place. And so normally he says, you know what? That guy's being a knucklehead and we're not going to let one knucklehead, you know, stop people from, you know, hearing the gospel. And so you just, uh, you know, nor- normally the sending pastor will will fall on the right side of things. If the sending pastor does not, you know, I I I, I say this with great caution. Um, you have to then uh, it 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 actually gets passed down to the planter and what he wants to do. Um, so it moves then from it- you can see how it- there's almost like a-, a a bit of you know. Um, I don't know what the word is not power, but like, uh, uh, it, it starts moving down the chain then, you know, because then if the, if the sending pastor says, you know, I'm, I'm out, you know, boom, boom, boom. Um, then the planter now it's on him what he wants to do. And if he says, look, you know, um, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not comfortable doing it without my sitting pastor. I could understand that. Um, but, Often a planter will say, man, I'm telling you, I unmistakably have heard from the Lord. I need to do this. I'm going to have to pray about it. I'm going to have to think about it. And sometimes they have to partner with another church in the area who will be their sponsoring church and sending church. And, you know, that, that's the benefit of having things like, say, like the Southern Baptists. Um, they would right away have a church plant that would scoop you up. And say, hey, we'll we'll sponsor and partner with you, and they've got, uh, you know, applications you can go through to vet your readiness and fitness, and that takes a little bit of time, so it'll set you back a bit. But honestly, in uh, closing to all this, I would say, you know, just keep in mind the biblical principles, and the you know, for in any way necessary, um established relationship with the sending pastor like that is so key um paul had antioch as his base um you know he he constantly comes back to antioch Um, barnabas had jerusalem as his base and then becomes antioch and one of the things that that you're constantly seeing is that the uh the sending church doesn't control the church planner it releases him but you need to have that um, kind of like Paul says, hey, you know, remember the gift that was given you by the laying on of my hands. There's a, a a releasing, kind of like an authority. We're not talking apostolic succession, like you know the popes, you know, straight from Peter's hand and a straight succession. This authority, we mean that there is another minister out there who recognizes a guy who's in good standing and well respected uh, by other ministers who respects you. That's important in the New Testament. That's uh, that's where Paul says, don't lay hands on a man hastily. You don't want to be the guy in hushed whispers, you know, some some are sent and some just went. Well, he went. You don't want to be that guy, right? You you want to be able to say, oh, so and so sent him out, because at the end of the day, um, you know, the Lord has sent you, but you've got someone else who recognizes. God's calling on you, and that's always, always helpful, and it's biblical, if that makes sense.
1: It does. I dig it, man. I dig it. Well, cool. Um,
2: That's it, man. That's all I got on that. I mean, I actually have a lot more, but you're right. It is case by case. And so we went a little bit deeper, and as far as maintaining the relationship with the sending pastor, um, one of the things that a good buddy of mine told me was, uh, go stop in. If you're local... Every blue moon, stop into that church. If you get a Sunday off, go in and sit under your sending pastor's ministry. Um, remind him that you're also in support of him as much as he's in support of you. That's re- that may seem really stupid, but just showing up and sitting in the audience tells that sending pastor, "I love you and respect you." right? Think of what it does when your sending pastor comes and visits your church plant. Um, my sinning pastors visited my church plant and taken time away from a couple thousand people to be in a room with like eighty something people and just to be there and to show us support. and uh, and it's a two-way street. So make sure in order to keep that relationship that you call him, tell him you're praying for him, that you reach out to him, that you uh, send him notes of encouragement, you send him notes of thanks. You mention him sometimes you, uh, he, he, you might you know, f- uh, flag him in Facebook when things are happening. Keep him connected because that is as much your responsibility as a planter as it is his as a sender. So that's it, man. Cool, cool. All right. Well, hey, guys, thanks for joining us today for the Church Planner Podcast. This has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you that if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, You need to go where nobody's going and do
1: what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com.